Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from TeachingBooks.net. Teaching Books strives to personalize each reader's connections to children's and young adult books. Discover thousands of resources that bring books and reading to life. Sign up for free today at TeachingBooks.net. Well, there you go. Now I know. Next time I get a number from Christopher Paul Curtis, don't be afraid to you call. Oh, that number. Yeah, I can remember that uh, uh, ALA because I met uh, John Lewis there. Oh, yes. And, and got a picture with him. It was just, and it was so funny because, you know, he was rushing through. He had a guy who was uh, his aide, obviously. And I, you know, I said, uh, Mr. Lewis, uh, my name's Christopher Curtis. I'm uh, such a fan of yours and I admire you so much. What could you take a picture with me? And he said, sure, no problem. The aide got kind of, and he took the took my phone and he snapped the picture and handed it back to me. And John Lewis said, no, he said, take a look and see if it's there. And he cut our heads off. <gasps> oh no. <laughs> and he told the guy, he said, take the picture, take your time. We don't, we're not in that big a rush. And he took the picture and uh, you know, one of my great, uh, one of the great meetings that I had it uh, uh, through my travels. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 642. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner, if you want to support the show. Today, I'm joined by Christopher Paul Curtis, author of Bud Not Buddy, Newberry Winner and Coretta Scott King Winner, The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963, Newberry Honor and Coretta Scott King winner, and Elijah of Buxton, Newberry Honor and Coretta Scott King winner. It's fair to say Christopher Paul Curtis's books are well-recognized and well-loved. The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963, was Christopher's debut middle-grade novel, and it's celebrating its 25th anniversary. Christopher and I hopped on the phone to talk about his time working at the automobile factory in Flint, Michigan, his choice to write an adult story narrated by a 10-year-old, and the real-life experiences that made their way into the book. Plus, if you have not yet had the pleasure of meeting Christopher Paul Curtis, I think you're going to feel immediately at home and in good company with him. I personally didn't want this conversation to end. Please welcome my guest, Christopher Paul Curtis, author of 
The Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963. Okay, my name is Christopher Paul Curtis. He, him, I uh, am from Flint, Michigan. I am an author of books for young people, and I have the best job in the world. <laughs> I kind of feel like I have the best job in the world sitting across from you right now. Wrong, I'm Matthew. not going to lie. <laughs> Christopher, I'm so honored that we get to talk. I, I had mentioned off recording that, that we crossed paths two years ago, but really we crossed paths way longer than that ago because I've I've known your work since being in the classroom and then since going into the library over these past 16 years. And I know that readers have known your work longer than that. And I know that the first and most important thing I can say to you is thank you. Thank you for your commitment to readers, to story, to bringing these words and, and these experiences in front of our children. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you, Matthew. And, and let me throw a thank you right back at you and the other teachers and librarians and educators, because I feel like we're a team. And without you, there'd be no me. So right back at you. Thank you very much. So the, the, the thing that brings us together today is the 25th anniversary of your debut novel of the Watsons Go to Birmingham, 1963. And... I don't even know where to start with this because this book, this book is special to me. I don't know where to to go with even how to the how to uncover the tip of the iceberg of how important this book is to you. Maybe I can start with the beginning. What drew you to writing for children? Actually, I was not writing for children. Um, I had uh, been working for 13 years in an automobile factory in Flint, Michigan, and actually absolutely hated it. And uh, finally was able to leave, I quit. And in Flint, you know, the, the culture is if you leave the factory, it's like you fall off the edge of the earth and you're never seen or heard of again. So it's kind of scary to do because you're making great money, you got a secure job. And when I look at the benefits that I had back then, you know, it's it's unreal, it was, it was really, uh, quite a job and it was an introduction to the middle class for so many people um so uh i started uh, uh writing when I was in the factory actually I, I would write during my breaks hmm. the story of the watsons was this i know many people will write many stories before whatever their first book is gets published i wonder where the watsons were with you in terms of of having those first thoughts of stories that could be shared with school age children uh yeah um uh, once the book was done and i, I sent it out to uh, try to get it published uh i sent it to random house and to uh, little brown they both had contests at the time for Random Houses was first young adult contemporary fiction. And I thought, okay, well, this is kind of old for that. But then uh, when I received a call from an editor, Wendy Lamb, my editor, she said it was too old or it's too young for that, that it was actually a middle reader. Huh. So I, uh, I 
you know, I thought, okay, you published the book. I don't care what you call it. <laughs> it I'll, I'll go along with you. I'll, I'll say that's what it is. But it, uh, you know, I, I didn't have to change much to make it a children's book uh, because I was, uh, when I was writing it, I was thinking of it as um, uh, an adult story narrated by a 10-year-old. Um, I'd read a book, um, and I, I should have looked this up. I think it was E.L. Doctorow's uh, Billy Bathgate, and it starts uh, being narrated by uh, uh, the the main character as a ten year old, and I, I just I for some reason I, I liked the voice, and then when I tried to write, it was very easy. The voice came to me very easy. Um, initially, I had told the story uh, from the point of view of the older brother of Byron, Byron. and. Um, and I, I felt, uh, as the story went on, he was such an unreliable narrator. You know, he's such a, a, <laughs> a little scamp that I, I couldn't trust him. So I thought, okay, let's uh, go to Kenny. Kenny's sitting over here in the corner quiet. Let's see what he has to say. And it worked. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until it had been published and Bud Not Buddy had been published that I finally realized, okay, this is wh- this is who you are. This is what you are. This is what you write. So... Um, no kidding. Since then, it, that's been in my mind, yeah. Christopher, I love hearing that you just listen to that character tell his story. Because this book, this book reads, and your work reads. When when I had run into you uh, those years ago at ALA, we were talking about the journey of little Charlie. And I said the same thing to you there about just how how easy your words read, how easy your story reads. You have this gift of being able to listen to your characters, but also of giving your characters voice to talk to us, to tell us their story. And I think about, I revisited this book. I revisited Watson's uh, for this interview. It had been a couple of years since I read it. And so I, I uh, this time picked up the audiobook and, and, uh, gave myself the the treat of LeVar Burton reading your oh, yeah. story to me. Oh boy. That was a treat. He does, he does a great job, yeah. He does a great job. Yeah. <laughs> but to have to have um to feel how quickly this story moves. To have this book that starts off really just connecting us with family. These little moments that bond the family mm-hmm. together. Um, and to take all of those pieces and really end up telling us a story of how all of those ways we're bonded end up being what hold each one of us up when we most need it. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, mm-hmm. thinking of for any of your readers that have not read this story yet, I wouldn't and won't ever uh, want to spoil the beautiful ending, but, but really to address topics of, of trauma how we how we respond to trauma, how our family makes room for that trauma, how we look out for one another. It's a beautiful, beautiful story, and um, and I'm I'm really grateful that 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 Kenny was able to tell his voice to all of us, his story to all of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am too. I, uh, I I I lucked up in so many ways, Matthew. The uh, you know, the the fact that I had worked in the factory for 13 years and uh, through reading, 
uh, in the factory and writing during breaks, I kind of felt like that was what was, you know, my path was going to be. Uh, even though I was uh, didn't really get there until I was 42. The Watsons didn't come out until I was 42 years old. And um, it, it just, a lot of really just fortunate, fortunate things happened along the way. And I can remember uh, feeling, and I, I wrote this in some book, I, I can't remember which one, but uh, it was almost as if I was getting signs that, okay, this is you know, what you're doing is the right thing. Hmm. Um, because when I was writing uh, the Watsons, I was working at a, a warehouse outside of Detroit. And I used to drive the same way home, uh, had a 1972 uh, LeSabre that I probably had put a door on. <laughs> you know, it, it, was, <laughs> it was from the Flint factory. Oh, it was half dead already. And, you know, every time I'd get back home from going to, uh, to work, I'd just be very grateful. I'd always come the same way. And then one time there was an accident, and so I had to go a different way. And as I was going down the street, I looked, and there was an old car parked out in front of a house. And it was the 19, it was a 1948 Plymouth, just like I write about in the story. And I, I don't know, I just took that as kind of, okay, this is a sign from someone that I'm going on the right way with it. Nice. So uh, there, there were a series of things like that that, that happened. Are any of these stories, in your, I'm sure this is a question you've been asked a million times, and I just have not ever had a chance to hear you talk on it, but are any of these stories that these, <laughs> that these, what do you call them, the weird Watsons go through, anything inspired by your own childhood? Yeah, uh, and this is something I tell young people all the time, that as writers, we have such an advantage over readers because we can draw from so many different sources. Oh, yeah. Uh, we can draw from personal experience. We can draw from uh, conversations with people. I tell them that an author has to have their ears and eyes open at all times. You never know when you're going to get something that you can use. And, and uh, uh, one of the greatest things I think that uh, I lucked into was uh, when I was hanging doors in the factory, I worked with another guy, and he had a son who was 12 years old, I think. And they sent him out on a really cold day to start the car, and uh, he didn't come back for 20 minutes, so they figured he started the car and was sitting in there listening to music. They went outside, and uh, the car wasn't started. The windows weren't scraped. Nothing was going. And when they walked around to the side of the car... Um, he had looked down, they had a mirrored sunroof on it, and he looked down, he saw his reflection in the mirror, and he gave himself a kiss, and he'd been stuck there for 20 <laughs> minutes, crying. And oh, Matthew, I when, when uh, Doug, the guy I worked with, told me that I just about died. And, you know, the, the whole story of his father trying to pull his mouth off and and all that. And uh, so that's another uh, another thing of... Uh, taking something and incorporating it into the story, and it gives the story life. Real situations like that that you that you can react to, and um, uh, yeah, I I yeah. I give a lot of credit to Doug for um, my <laughs> storytelling because I, I think that right there when the boy was stuck to the mirror, uh, I must have 
I, I cried, I think, for days afterwards thinking about that poor boy. That's amazing to know that it came from a real thing. I love that scene where we learn the Byron gets stuck to the mirror because he was looking at himself in the mirror, gives himself a kiss. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. That it, that yeah. was based on some some child that was the, the son of a co-worker of yours is now immortalized in a Newberry <laughs> Honor book because of kissing that mirror. Amazing. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Professor Bookworm. Professor Bookworm is an online literacy classroom that offers virtual reading groups and writing sessions for kids grades 1 through 6. These programs are engaging and fun and can be formatted around a family's schedule. Bookworm sessions are the perfect supplement to both in-person and online learning. Bookworm reading groups are conducted through interactive virtual activities and individualized feedback that are geared toward building reading comprehension. Each reading session walks the student through a complete chapter book. The writing program consists of 30-minute writing sessions with an instructor via Zoom. These sessions, which are designed to improve writing mechanics, can consist of one to four students, depending on the child's preferences. The founder, Carolyn Zoba, inspired by her work with colleagues and mentors on diversity, equity, and inclusion, is passionate about exposing children to more diversity through the Bookworm program. When building Bookworm programs, she makes an effort to choose books that feature strong, positive, and diverse characters. She hopes to encourage students to explore other cultures, call out racial biases, and develop an inclusive mindset. Professor Bookworm just announced their holiday book bundles, which are boxes that contain all you need to complete as many reading sessions as you would like, plus a few trinkets for the kids. Order for the holiday boxes must be in by December 5th. They're offering 20% off your first purchase of a holiday box or bookworm reading session to listeners of the Children's Book Podcast. Please use code CHILDRENS20. That's C-H-I-L-D-R-E-N-S and the number two zero at checkout. Get started today at ProfessorBookworm.com. Another thing I tell young writers is uh, that we're very powerful. We can change things. We can add things we can subtract uh that you don't have to tell the story because in the real story what, what really happened was um his mother panicked and knew she had to get something warm around his mouth and her first thought was she bent over and she spit all the way around oh. his <laughs> lips <That's right. laughs> oh no Oh, would, would that no. traumatize you for the rest of your life or what? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, didn't put, I thought that was a bit much. Wow. Well, so let me, let, me, let me bring you back to the life that this book has had. Your, your, your first book, your debut, gets, gets recognized by the ALA, by, by, um, by the award committee, by Newberry, uh, with an honor, and then Bud Not Buddy gets um, the Newberry Medal. Were these awards, was was the Newberry an award that you were aware of 
prior to going into to writing this book? Oh yeah, we uh, you know those are the books that we were forced to read in nice. school, <laughs> fifth, sixth grade. And I say forced because it felt like you're being forced. Johnny Tremaine. I'm trying to think of what other Newberry books I'd read. Uh, but, you know, you knew that that gold medal meant that it was supposed to be a really good book. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I knew all about the, the Newberry. I, I didn't I didn't actually think that uh, um, uh, the Watsons would be eligible. I thought it was an award for a more experienced writer. I, I thought huh. it was kind of like a... You know, a recognition of a career. That's interesting. I mean, and I think you probably—I can't imagine any author ever writes thinking like, "Well, this book's gonna gonna be my one to get a sticker on it." But, um, but, yeah. but certainly, I think that that allows for even more readers to find the book, which is a really wonderful yes. thing. The way that it, it amplifies uh, the work and then also one's career that you you have this book in the library, mm-hmm. you watch for the next book. That's nice that in, in that way that it it sort of is a way to same with the Caldecott. I've heard this about the Caldecott before that in 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 some ways it it, it it sometimes feels like the committee is recognizing an artist at the beginning of their career, not as this is the pinnacle of their work, but as in recognition mm-hmm. of what they're doing right now. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's yeah. that 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 is a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I I I think to to have. <laughs> I'm just I'm just nerding out over Lavar Burton. Of course, Lavar would be the one that I would be nerding out over. But to have like a a, a a a movie adaptation of the book, to have even all of these different beautiful covers for the book, it's just something that is neat to see a book have a life of these 25 years so far. Because we know in publishing, well, publishing has even changed since you've been, since you've been in publishing. I'm sure we're publishing um, a, a number fold more books than when uh, the Watsons were were first published. Uh, that we have, you know, more readers, more accessibility to books. Uh, children's literature is more, uh, maybe even more highly regarded. School libraries yeah. are more highly yeah. regarded than they were 25 yeah. years ago. Um, it's, it's, it's it's just, it's just, it's hard for me to believe that it was 25 years ago that, uh, that it came out because I can really clearly remember, um, I, I hated my job in the factory. Like I said, it's like falling off the earth when you, but I, I had to save my life by doing that. And, uh, I can remember, uh, this was a, like a Hail Mary. This was like my last chance at doing something that, uh, or finding something that I, you know, that I wanted to do. And I, uh, I'd been working in the factory since I was 18 years old. So I, you know, I never had a job that I enjoyed really. You know, as a, as a, a youngster, I started working when I was 15, uh, bagging groceries. And then I had little jobs like that all throughout high school. But as far as uh, a career or a job, I, I never had one that I really liked or that I got up in the morning and thought, ah, let's get to work. And um, yeah, and, and to, to think that uh, uh, the book has lasted for 25 years, it's just, it's, it's just amazing to me. It's, I, I get through life by having very low expectations, and I just didn't think much was going to happen from this book. And it uh, it's made such a change in my life. 
that uh, you know I'm, I'm I'm if I think if anybody can draw anything from this, you know, give yourself a chance, take a chance, be realistic, but give yourself a chance because yeah. uh, there's you, you know if you if you don't, you'll be kicking yourself uh, for years, wondering what would have happened if I'd done this. Let me ask you a kind of funny question because I'm thinking about. Um different interviews with musicians I've heard before where they've had these long careers but there was a certain song that really hit that really resonated throughout the nation or the world and after Mm -hmm. touring that song or that album for years or decades uh, sometimes they end up saying that that the work has reached a point where where they almost feel disconnected from it but in a way that they appreciate it from a different lens than they than they did when they were making it have you mm-hmm. noticed that the way you view this book has changed over this time um do you still feel like the guy that wrote that book back back you know, you know working at the factory I, I, it, it 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 never occurs to me i don't uh <laughs> i don't reflect on it i don't go back and read the books i uh, unless i have if, if somebody's showing interest for a play or yeah. or a movie or something, then I'll go back and read it. But I I, I just don't think about them. I, I don't uh, I don't know. I it, it's it's not something that I uh, dwell upon. But I know what uh, you're you're saying about musicians too. I I, I understand that, and I understand uh, how a musician can uh, probably get to the point where they hate. The thing that has made them what they are, and I, you know, I've, I've never had any kind of uh, bad feelings about the book or anything like that. But I can see how, if you get pigeonholed uh, into something like that, it, it, you might become resentful for, after a while. But I have, uh, you know, I, I I have loved the Watsons more than I did when I wrote it. Now, um, and the times that I do go back and uh, reread it, uh, like I had to go back for the twenty fifth anniversary. Yeah and uh, reread it and um, my initial surprise my initial feeling was it's better than I thought it was oh um, that's I, so great I, I think that uh, yeah author in me as an I'll write something I'll read it and I'll love it I'll say oh this is just great this is beautiful oh 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 you know, I'm patting myself on the back and then I'll read it again a couple days later and I hate it <laughs> and then it, it cycle. You go back and forth yeah. and back and forth. And uh, this is one of the great things about having, um, you know, we're talking about libraries earlier. Uh, and the Watsons and Bud were both written uh, on legal pads in the public library. And one of the great things about that is uh, I had access to not only a library, but I had access to librarians who are the best read people on the face of the earth and who uh, can give good criticism. You know, you give a book to most people, it's, oh, I like it, or, yeah, it's nice, or, you know, and then they can't go beyond that. But while if you give it to a librarian or somebody who's a really great reader, um, you can get so much back from them. They can give you uh, so much feedback. And uh, one of the things I've learned is you have to keep listening to what other people say. And it's, it, it's very fortunate because it's hard to, when you're writing something, you become so involved in it. It's, it's really hard to keep your perspective and to, um, 
to keep the book fresh. Yeah. Uh, because you go over it again and again and again, and the humor isn't funny because you've read it so many times. So you have to re- depend on these other people. And uh, I, I lucked up so much that uh, uh, that I had librarians. Uh, I, I wrote the book in the children's section of the Windsor Public Library. And I, can't, I can still remember how they used to look at me like, why is this guy sitting in the children's <laughs> section? I didn't know why I was sitting in the children's section. It was where I was and, and so I wrote it in there. And there was one librarian in, partic- in particular here at the Windsor Public Library. Her name was Terry. And um, very nice. And I, I wrote the book, you know, after working on it for a year. I wrote it and I said to her, uh, you know, Terry, could you read my manuscript? And, you know, she kind of blanched. And uh, she said, oh, sure. And uh, so I gave it to her. And about... Three weeks later, I was back in the library, and she came up to me, and she started crying. Wow. And, uh, yeah, and I thought, wow, isn't this great? I, I thought, uh, you know, um, th- that's the best praise you can get, I think, with somebody who's a real reader when you can have an effect on them. The Children's Book Podcast is sponsored by Libro.fm. It's the gift-giving season, and our friends at Libro.fm are helping to make sure you and the readers in your life enjoy the latest and best audiobooks out there. Get two audiobook credits for the price of one when you enter promo code WINNER at checkout, or purchase a 3-, 6-, or 12-month gift membership for yourself or your favorite reader before January 1st, 2021, and enjoy credits to use on any of Libro.fm's 150,000-plus audiobooks, regardless of price. Plus, the credits are DRM-free and do not expire. 30% off additional audiobooks, including gifts during membership, expert recommendations from booksellers, free Libro.fm iOS and Android listening apps, and you can support a local bookstore as a Libro FM member. I'm going to be honest, that's my favorite part. When you buy a 12-month Libro FM gift membership, Libro.fm will be passing half of what you spend along to the bookstore of choice, meaning bookstores get $90 for every 12-month gift membership. There's really no better choice for that reader in your life this holiday season. I love my Libro FM. I've been a member for several years, getting the same great audiobooks and the same prices as other audiobook sellers, but with the comfort of knowing my purchases are helping my local independent bookstore. Treat yourself or your loved ones to a Libro.fm membership this year. Use the link in the show notes and happy listening. I think about those new readers that are still discovering your work and what it means now to to have you continue to be signing this book but to be seeing these generations of readers finding your work loving your work seeing themselves and their identity as a reader through your work and just what a beautiful thing that is to get to see to get to see so many readers over this time it's a beautiful thing i think it's it's yeah. in that way very different from what a musician all a musician would still see fans of their thing yeah. but for you to see not just fans of the thing but you see fans being born and raised by the fans of your books <laughs> it's awesome yeah. it's just a beautiful thing it's, it's, 
I remember the first time that an adult came up to me and said, oh, I really had a, a conference and I like your book. I said, oh, are you a teacher? And then she said, no, I read it when I was a kid. And I think, oh, my God. Yep. realize it's been a long time. Yeah. But that's the, the way yeah. that, I mean, we do this in teaching, too, don't we? The way that when you, when you work with kids, when you write for kids, when you work in a classroom with kids, you see the future. You touch the future. There, there are things yep. that you're yep. imprinting exactly. on that child. Your fingerprints are all over yes. that kid. That's a beautiful thing that then that that grown up kid came back and was able to to show you that like I grew up with your fingerprints all over me. That's just a beautiful beautiful thing to be impacted by a work and then have the opportunity to stand beside the person that made it. Christopher, before we go, do you do you, no? I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and teachers uh, are one of the few professions that actually do have the future in our hand, in mm. their hands. I, and I'm sure you must have a teacher that stand, stood out with you. I've got uh, several teachers that, uh, you know, just meant the world to me as I Absolutely. grew up, you know, as I become old, older. And I, and then I stopped and thought, you know, I was with this person for, uh, you know, maybe three hours a day for nine months. And yet they had this impact on me. And uh, that is, I, I think if I uh, hadn't become a successful writer, um, I think I would have discovered teaching and would have been uh, just as happy being able to, uh, to, to, to relate to children that way. Because I, I honestly do think it is one of the most important jobs uh, that anybody can have. It, it's it, it's a beautiful thing. It, it calls for a lot of sacrifice. Um, you know, uh, it, it, it's just such a hard hard thing. But fortunately, people love it. Unfortunately, they get burned out after a while. It, it's, oh, yeah. it's so overwhelming. And um, if this country had half the brains that it thinks it did, uh, there would be a lot more investment in teachers and be a, a, one of the highest paid professions would be right up there with doctors and lawyers because it's that important well this actually feels like a good time to wrap up because I want to give you the chance to speak directly to those readers so can I first say Christopher Paul Curtis what a great joy it was to cross paths with you here on the podcast I'm so grateful for our time together I can't wait for us to talk again. I can't wait to talk about what you're working on next and just to check in. You're a wonderful man, a wonderful human being, and I'm grateful for all you do for our readers. Thank you so much. Thank you, Matthew, and uh, thank you for what you do, too. Like I said, we're a team, and um, if, if there's anything I can do, I don't know if you still have the number. I, uh, you call, and I'll email you um and call this time. I, I'm, uh, this was a great interview. You're, you're a very good interviewer. Well, uh, and that's uh, kind of you to say that. Well, no, you know, it's you do enough. You can tell pretty quickly. Uh, you think, oh Jesus, how long is this gonna last? And then, <laughs> and you, then you, every once in a while, you get somebody who is on and who loves the subject and who's uh, got a lot of enthusiasm for it, and, and it just comes through with you. 
Well, I'm sure that you're a, a great teacher. I appreciate you saying that. And I got to say, without a doubt, and they know it, those kids are always on my mind. They are never not on my mind. So when I ask you this and I tell you that I'm going to see a library full of children tomorrow morning, I really am. I am in person in school. I am in these classes on safe rotation, but I see these mm-hmm. kids. And when I ask you about a message, I share these messages with my students daily. So I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Christopher Paul Curtis, is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Uh, The message I would like you to take, Matthew, is tell them, I know they hear this over and over, but take it from somebody who's old and who's been there. The most important thing, two things that you're going to learn in school, I don't care what kind of a a degree you end up with, The most important thing you will ever learn in school, reading and writing. Because if you can write, you can express yourself and you can uh, let people know how you feel. And it's a really good thing to be able to talk to people and to communicate. And if you can read, you can learn how to do anything. You can entertain yourself. Um, It just opens up so many worlds to you, for you. And their books have been around for centuries and you can go back and actually read somebody from 400 years ago read their story and uh really work on your reading and writing and whatever else you do work on that but the most important things you'll ever learn are reading and writing and give mr winner a hug Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. Want to help out the show? Become a patron at patreon.com slash matthewcwinner and your support and contributions will directly support and impact my work here. And always, writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.